Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Naomi Rovnik. Brexit has fired up UK politics but left markets trapped and investors unsure what to do. David Riley, Chief Investment Strategist at Blue Bay Asset Management, tells Katie Martin what the steady pound means and how it fits into a lively start to the year for global markets. The year is still in its infancy and already it feels like markets have been through a series of mood swings. I'm Katie Martin and I'm joined by David Riley, who's the Chief Investment Strategist at Blue Bay Asset Management, to try and make sense of what's been going on. David, let's start with that great unmentionable Brexit. I mean, on the political front, there's been incredible drama. In markets, it's more a case of the unbearable tedium of sterling. Why aren't UK markets responding to what's been going on? I think UK markets and sterling is the barometer of how the market is viewing Brexit have not moved that much, despite the various political noise and drama that we've had because we really have no further clarity on what the end point for Brexit will actually be. And so if you look at the value of euro against sterling, it's really been within a relatively narrow range over the last 12 months or so. And I think it's going to be difficult for it to break out either way until markets do get further clarity on what the end point is. All I would say is that at the moment, I think the market is... Generally speaking, assuming that a so-called no-deal Brexit will be avoided, even though the political and legal obstacles to that are actually very daunting. So what do you think is priced in for now? I mean, as you say, if you look at the pound against the euro, it really hasn't gone anywhere actually since the referendum. There's been quite a bit of movement since the referendum against the dollar, but that's generally been a dollar thing. But as you say... The market is not expecting a no-deal Brexit and it just seems to be itching for good news. I mean, to what extent do you think the market is just waiting for a bit of a breakthrough? I do think that increasingly a number of investors are getting positioned for some upside in the value of sterling. And we've seen in aggregate short positions in sterling decline during the course of the... Negative bets are kind of peeling away a little bit. Yes, they are. And and that, I think, is a function of this presumption that Parliament will take control and ensure that the UK does not crash out of the European Union on the 29th of March. I do think that if there was an announcement or a big step forward towards a second referendum in particular, then I do think that we could see sterling move quite sharply on the back of that to the upside. But what is evident at the moment is that actually there is no majority within Parliament for a second referendum, just as there's no majority in Parliament for any alternative to Theresa May's deal. And it remains the case that In the absence of Parliament uniting around a positive alternative, that is in fact the default option. So I do think there's some complacency in sterling and sterling assets as a result of this assumption, if you like, that the kind of grown-ups will ultimately take control within the UK Parliament and ensure at least an orderly process of leaving the European Union. Mm. So that being the case, if we were to get to the situation where we really did drop out you know, it was the end of March and there really wasn't a deal. It was the beginning of April and there really wasn't a deal. How hard do you think the pound could fall? 
we're trading at about $1.28 or so now. I do think that sterling in that scenario of coming out of the European Union on the 29th of March without any agreement with the European Union would see sterling fall to parity with the euro and I think go to sort of 115 or so against the US dollar. I do think that the sort of downside tail risk is gradually getting priced out of sterling. And I think if you look at sort of implied probabilities of those kinds of values for sterling in FX options, then it's being assigned sort of less than 10% chance of that occurring by the 29th of March. So I do think that would be a a big shock to the market. Mm, Much like we saw on the night of the referendum itself. Well, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right to highlight that, Katie, because, you know, the implied likelihood of the UK voting to leave in the few days in the run up to the referendum vote was something like just 20%, even though actually the polls suggested that the vote was going to be very close. So there can be a tendency at times for markets, particularly when faced with binary outcomes, Mm to over discount the outcome which they either think is in some sense irrational from a market perspective and is one which they don't want to see. So I do think we're seeing some complacency around the Brexit process where I think we're seeing potentially some complacency around things like the US government shutdown. I think we are in a world where we do see much more political uncertainty policy unpredictability. And it's one that financial markets, I think, are still struggling to adjust to and, and investors are struggling to adjust to because it's it's difficult. Mm. Back in the good old days, you know, markets used to move around on things like central bank decisions and retail sales data and inflation figures. And that's sort of all out the window now. It is. It's more likely to move around on a tweet than it is to move around on sort of fundamental economic data. I do also think that in the case of the UK, clearly Brexit is overwhelmingly the dominant factor. But I think there are also some real structural challenges facing the UK. And in contrast, certainly to households in the United States, we've seen much less deleveraging by the household sector in the UK So I still think there's this debt overhang, which is going to be weighing on consumer spending going forward. So I'm not, as you can probably gather, especially optimistic on the outlook for sterling assets. Yeah. So while sterling's been pretty much going nowhere for 2019 so far and probably further back, global markets have been having a bit of a moment, haven't they? I mean, everybody knows... Everyone goes home at Christmas time and the markets don't do anything. It was completely different this time around. There was some pretty ugly declines, really quite shocking declines, especially between sort of Christmas and New Year, even into the opening days of this year. And now everything's rocketing higher. I mean, US stocks are about 6.5% higher year to date. Are markets overreacting or are they just desperately trying to play catch up with the underlying news? Markets have definitely been, I think, overreacting. But what I do also think that, in some sense, the market has been doing actually since sort of early October is finding where the power put is. When the Fed chair was maybe inadvertently signalling the Fed was on its hiking path, there was very little, it appeared, that it was going to get it off that hiking path. And despite some concerns around global growth, global trade, 
because of the tensions between the US and China and the weakness of data coming out of the Eurozone. In that sense, the market wanted to kind of test almost where that power put might be. And we found that it was about 20% out of the money (laughs) in terms of the size of the drawdown in the S&P 500. And I think more recently, the market's been trading a little bit that perhaps is a Trump put in terms of trade tensions. So I think... The market's been waiting to see where is the pain threshold for Jay Powell, for the chairman of the Federal Reserve? Where is the pain threshold for Donald Trump? At what point will they effectively step in and rescue markets? Yes. The market wanted or feared that the Fed had become, if you like, deaf to its concerns. And now this subsequent rally has coincided with messaging from Chair Powell and other members of the Federal Reserve signalling that they are willing to be patient on interest rates and flexible potentially on the rundown of the balance sheet. President Trump based on some of his tweets at least, appears to have become a little bit more accommodating or willing to at least delay any further increase in tariffs on Chinese goods coming into um, coming into the US. And, you know, if you look at where markets were pricing growth risk or recession risk, they're actually pricing in, you know, 30, 40% chance of a US recession within 12 months. If you look at the slope of the yield curve or you look at where credit spreads were. And I do think that that was significantly overpricing those growth risks. And as a result, you did have some positive risk premiums, more attractive valuations. I think the question now is just whether, given, as you alluded to, KT, we've seen quite a sharp pullback or retracement of some of that sell-off. How much further can we go? You mentioned earlier the US shutdown. This is now the longest shutdown in US history. And it's clearly time to start thinking about what the impact of that is going to be on the US economy. You know, we're seeing stories about payday lenders having a marvellous time while these employees are just struggling to make ends meet while they're not getting paid. This has to have an impact. I mean, do you think that has been absorbed into markets yet? Or do you think investors are still, la la la, let's try and ignore it? I think at the moment, the market firstly pretty much ignores or discounts the negative impact that it may have on US economic growth. In fact, not may, it will have a negative impact on US growth. And the longer that it goes on, the greater that impact will be. But typically, that tends to be relatively small and temporary. And instead, I think markets are focused on the fact that with some weakness as a result of that US government shutdown, but also the fact that we're getting much less economic data and the Fed is getting much less economic data, that it actually means that there's even less chance that the Fed will be raising interest rates in the first half of this year. And I think if you're... data dependent and there is no data from a lot of the usual sources, right? Yeah, some data will be coming out. But for example, the GDP data won't actually be released so long as the shutdown is continuing. So that's affected by the ongoing shutdown. So I think at the moment, the market is interpreting that particular piece of bad news as good for markets because it makes it even less likely that the Fed is going to raise interest rates before the sort of early summer mm-hmm. at the earliest. So another central bank that does not have the same issues with data or uh, arguably with politics is the European Central Bank, which is due to meet. The economy is not looking terribly rosy. We've had some pretty ugly pullbacks, particularly from Germany, obviously the largest economy. 
The ECB has been looking rather confident about the world. Do you think it's going to signal much greater caution this time around? I think that the ECB at its meeting on Wednesday will try to get away with saying as little as possible. I don't think they're yet at the point where they want to signal a shift either in terms of the forward guidance around interest rates, where their guidance is still suggesting that there will be a rate hike by the ECB towards the end of this year. The market's completely priced that out. Just doesn't believe that. Um, so simply doesn't believe that. And QE has come to an end, and I don't think they're going to shift in that respect. There is some speculation that they might use their reinvestments to support longer dated yields or potentially announce further liquidity facilities for banks. I don't think they're going to do that in the near term because I think they are going to still want to see the evolution of the economic data and see whether actually it does prove to be transitory because of the shutdown in German autos and some of the weakness clearly that we've seen in terms of export demand, particularly coming from China. And in that sense, to your point earlier, Katie, I actually think some of the economic data will be important this week. The flash PMIs that come out on Thursday. Business survey sort of numbers, yeah. Exactly. And those business surveys have been, I think, falling now for the euro area, admittedly from a relatively high level at the beginning of 2018 for pretty much every month. Mm. And so I do think the market is going to be wanting to see that that trend is starting to be broken or coming to an end. If not, then I think the pressure will build on the ECB to provide some form of policy support in some way at its meeting in March when it'll have a new set of economic forecasts as well. Mm, they might have to get creative. David, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Katie Martin, Capital Markets Editor, talking to David Riley, Chief Investment Strategist at Blue Bay Asset Management. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.